morning and we give praise to you. We thank you, Father, for your holy presence here. We thank you, Father, for the love that you pour into our lives, the love that is unmistakably yours, for you love us as no other. Father, I do pray that your word would be exalted today, the name of Jesus exalted today. We know that you esteem your word even greater than your own name, and we just bring our hearts to you today. We need you. We need you. We, we just want to hear from you, Lord. And we thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit of God that ministers to us and speaks to us and draws us and points us to Jesus Christ, our precious Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You know, there's so much uh, going on in the world today, and, and we know this, we see it, we sense it, we, we feel it, and I would suggest that, you know, as, as believers, all the more we need to hear from God, we need to hear from heaven, and I'm grateful that we serve a God that desires to speak to us, aren't you thankful for that? And this is where we are today in the book of Acts, chapter 13, and we're going to be examining verses 1 through 3, and the title of today's message is The Holy Spirit Speaks. And this is so important for us. We need, we need to hear from God's Holy Spirit continually. And oftentimes, what we might think might be the voice of the Holy Spirit is really ourselves. Do you ever, do you ever run into that in your own life? You think it's of God, but it's really not. Well, I pray that today as we open up this passage of the Scriptures that, that God will show us how we can know his voice and how we can hear his voice. And it's all based on what took place in these first three verses in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. It's an incredible passage. And it tells us here in verse 1, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This chapter begins an extremely important part in the history of the early church. It's really the beginning of the work of bringing the gospel to the world. Remember what Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this is what we're finding now, the uttermost part of the earth. The first two, for, excuse me, the first 12 chapters, we see the Holy Spirit bringing the gospel to Jerusalem, to, to Judea, Judea, excuse me, and Samaria. And here, beginning in chapter 13 and through the balance of the book of, the, of Acts, we see the gospel being brought to the world. As we see in verse 1, the center of the church, and we talked about this in prior weeks, is now in the city of Antioch. And we see that this new chapter in spreading the gospel is centered 
in Antioch as the launching point. The Apostle Paul, who was Saul, just to give you a brief history of where we are, this is very brief, he was converted in 34 AD, a year after Jesus ascended up into heaven. In the year 42 AD, Barnabas, who we just read about, he was sent to Antioch as the church headquarters. And in 48 AD, it's the first missionary journey. And this is going to be found in Acts chapter 13. So the church at Antioch has been established for about six years as we begin this chapter. And might I add this, that they didn't spend these six years sitting on their hands. They, were, they had their hands together. They were praying, asking God, what, what do we do now? Now that this church has been established, now that the headquarters has been moved up to Antioch, which, by the way, was a pretty wicked city, what are we to do? Well, the church at Antioch was a very gifted church. We see in verse number one, it says that there were prophets, those that were able to bring forth the word of God. Some heard from the word of God and were able to share some things that God placed upon their heart in a prophetic word. Teachers were raised up there, and most notably, we see Barnabas. We've talked about Barnabas before, the son of consolation, the great encourager, as he was to Saul when Saul was converted. We see Simeon, also called Niger. It's a Jewish name, and he was a Jew from northern Africa. So people are coming from, from all over. We see the name Lucian of Cyrene, also of northern Africa. And this man named Menaean. He was brought up by Herod Antipas, the Roman governor. He's the one that ordered the beheading of John the Baptist. And he was raised as a foster brother of Herod Antipas, Menaean was. So he was raised in privilege. He was raised in prosperity and power. And when we think about Herod, you know, he became a monster. All he wanted to do was, was kill people, kill Christians, kill his own family. And Menaean was a Christian. Incredibly, both raised in the same household. One followed the Lord and one followed the enemy. Next, we see Saul mentioned, former, a former Pharisee, of course, raised, we know about Saul, raised up in, in the Jewish traditions, taught by the best of rabbis. And then, of course, he came, came to the Lord. He came to Christ and became the Apostle Paul. So we have a very, very diverse group of men in the church at Antioch. And Antioch was a diverse city, as we see here. There's Jews there, there's Gentiles there, those from northern Africa, and a gifted group, gifted with talents. But also, and this is so important, they were gifted spiritually. You see, a gifting without spirituality is not much use to God, is it? No, because we need to be men and women that are not only led, but strengthened and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And a gift that is anointed by the Holy Spirit of God is powerful. And this family is what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 13. Verse 3 tells us that they were men of prayer. And you know what? A person of prayer is a person that depends on God. And a person that depends upon God is a person of prayer. This group of men realized that 
what they were called to do by God that could not possibly have been done apart from him. So there's a great dependence, and it's reflected in their prayers. Well, the question is, how about us? Is our dependence upon God reflected in our prayer life? You know, do we seek the Lord in all things? Do we pray without ceasing? You know, these are, these are commands that God gives us. And it's for a reason. It shows our dependence upon him. I think of John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then he said, for without me, you can do nothing. Have you ever said those words? God, without you, I can do nothing. But you know what, family? It's easy to say those words, isn't it? But it's another thing to really believe them in our heart. Do we really, do we really believe that? And if so, it must be reflected in our prayer life. God, I'm helpless apart from you. And this is where these men of God were in the church of Antioch. And we can talk those words in our minds, but again, the question, do we really believe it in our hearts? Well, the church at Antioch, they, they believe this. They had it in their heart. Look at verse 2. It says they ministered to the Lord. Maybe you're wondering, what does that mean? What does they ministered to the Lord mean? Ministered, the word ministered words means they worshipped him. And the word means to lean into the Lord, to lean into him and to kiss. That's what worship is. We lean into the Lord to draw near to him. That's ministering to the Lord, but it's even more than that. There's another aspect that's wrapped up in this phrase, ministered to the Lord, and that is to obey. Submit to the greater. You see, in the Bible, the lesser always worships the greater. It's never the other way around. The lesser always worships the greater, and we are to submit to the greater. So to minister to the Lord, and this is what the early church did there in Antioch, they, they worshiped him and they obeyed him. And to worship the Lord and to disobey him, which is indulging in sin, really isn't worship at all, is it? No. They worshiped and obeyed. I think of Hophni and Phinehas. What did they do in the Old Testament? They offered strange fire before the Lord. And what happened? Well, they were smote by God. So we need to remember, above all things, why we're here. We're here to worship the Lord. And oftentimes we can fall into the trap that we're doing God a favor by being here when the reality is God gives us the privilege to gather together and to praise and worship him. And our primary existence and reason for our existence is to bring glory to God and to bring pleasure to him. And you see, our worship is, it's, it's for God. It's not for us. Does God use it? Sure he does. He uses it in our lives, but it's primarily for him. It's not about us. He has given us the privilege to bring praises to him through song, hasn't he? That's why, and that's why lyrics are so important. It's like prayer put to music. And much of what we call Christian music today isn't worshipful. 
It's more about me than about God. And worship must be, must be directed toward our Lord. It's not about catchy words or phrases. It's to be for God and a declaration to God that this is coming from our hearts, from our hearts to your heart, Lord, and we want to please you. And you know what else? The study of the word of God ought to lead us to praise him. Our study of the word of God ought to lead us to worship him. Why? Because as we study the word of God, we're learning more of him, aren't we? We, we learn of his ways. We learn of his magnificence. We learn of his greatness. We learn of his love. We, we learn of his goodness. We learn of his grace. We, we learn of his mercy and his truth. And we learn of his precious redemption for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And as the, the more we learn of him, the more we learn of his ways, how could we not help but fall on our faces before him and praise him? For he is worthy of our praise. Our knowledge of him ought to cause us to worship him in a greater way. So family, we need, we need both. We need to study the word of God. We need to be students of the word of God so that we can properly worship the Lord. And we can utter things like, God, you, you are the creator. You created me. You purchased me. I belong to you. And I ask that my life would be used for your purposes and not my own. And sometimes we get it mixed up, don't we? Sometimes we tend to reverse those two things. But our life ought to be for his purposes. <clears throat> now we see in a section of scripture that they also fasted. They withheld eating for a time in order to, to more closely hear from God. And I sensed that they sensed there was something that was going to take place as they fasted, as they prayed. They had a sense of expectancy that God desired to speak to them, and they wanted to hear from heaven. So as they fasted, they stopped thinking about themselves, and they waited on the Lord. And you see, when they were led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit spoke as they fasted and prayed and said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Holy Spirit spoke. He says, you separate for me, Barnabas and Saul, for what? For the work that I've called them to. And you know, one of the most wonderful things about being a Christian is how God speaks to us. And even stepping back, how God even desires to speak with us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That, that the creator of the universe wants to speak to us? God Almighty wants to speak to me and he wants to speak to you. And he knows each of us so well that he knows how to speak to us. And sometimes we all hear things a little bit differently, right? And God knows that. And he knows how to speak to each of our hearts and over time as a Christian, what happens is, is, is we begin to develop a sensitivity to the voice of God and how he speaks to us. And it's like our, he's our Abba, he's our Father, he speaks to us, he expresses his love to us, his direction for us. 
And what he has to speak to us is so much more important than what I would speak or what I could speak to him. And for me personally, God speaks through his word. Open up the scriptures and read and and God begins to speak to my heart through what he's written for me. This is a love letter, you know. This is a love letter from God, from him to each of us. He speaks to us through his word. And through his word, he impresses certain things upon my heart that I can then take back to him and commit them to prayer. God, I I hear you speaking to me about this particular thing, and I'm not sure what you want me to do yet. But I want to know. And God, if he's got a plan, which he does, and he speaks to you, then he's, he's just looking for you to submit to his authority and to his direction. There's been times in my life where the impressions that God has placed on my heart were so incredibly strong, it, it almost sounded audible. Maybe you've been there too, where, where God impresses something so incredibly strong on your heart. It's like you're hearing his voice. Does that ever happen to you? It's happened many times to me. And God can give a word of wisdom through his word or through an impression on our heart or a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, something that God would speak to us that we would have no way of known otherwise and how to figure something out or what to do or a word of knowledge, something that no one else could have possibly told you that God can speak to you, a word of knowledge, some knowledge that he provides to you and for you so that you can do exactly what it is that he would have you to do. Maybe that's what took place here in Acts chapter 13. He impressed something on their heart as they prayed, as they fasted. Their hearts were seasoned and open to whatever God would speak to them, and God's Spirit spoke. They fasted and prayed over it, and what did God do? He moved And he said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work warrant I have called them. And then they laid hands on them, on Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them away. What's that mean, this this laying on of hands? Well, it wasn't that they necessarily imparted anything to them because it always comes from God. It's not the vessel. The only thing we can impart to others from ourselves is is maybe the germs on our hands, right? But it symbolizes something. There's, There's a connection. There's a camaraderie. It says, listen, we're we're with you in this. We stand with you, we stand behind you, we're here for you, and you're going forth. Yes, you are. God is sending you out, but we stand with you. And what a wonderful thing that is to know that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord that stand with us and for us. Isn't it wonderful? And of course, Barnabas and Saul, it was the launching of the first of the three missionary journeys. This is what God's up to. Well, I want to take some time to talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. Notice that the church was dependent on the Holy Spirit for their decision-making They were dependent on the Holy Spirit. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a third person of the Godhead. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is divine. He is powerful. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
Jesus said this, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him. That's a personal pronoun, isn't it? I will send him to you, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Holy Spirit is never referred to in the Scriptures as a thing or an it or a force. Why? Because he's not an it, a thing, an essence, or a force, but a person, and you know what, family? He is a person that is present with us right now in this room. Jesus also said in John 14, verses 16 through 18, he said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another, another comforter, and he will abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth in you, or with you, praise God, and he shall be in you, which he is if you belong to Jesus, the spirit of God is living in you. And he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come, I will come to you. And what he's saying to the disciples here is, what I was to you for three and a half years, the Holy Spirit will be to you after my ascension. He didn't leave us as orphans, did he? No, he said, I'm leaving my comforter. And he's left the comforter for us to be with us and to be in us. I want to take some time in these three short verses here to see if there's anything that we can glean in this passage to help us in our desire to be led and directed by God's Holy Spirit. Do you want to be led and directed by God's Holy Spirit? I do. We all ought to want that. That should be our desire. We should want that. So I believe there's something in these three verses that's going to help us. Well, let's look. The first thing we see that will help us, notice that they were using the gifts that God gave to them in the calling that Jesus put on their lives. They were obedient to the calling. And this is really important because the more we are apt to hear his voice and respond to his calling, it means that we're moving with God. Let me say that again. We are more apt to hear his voice and respond to his calling when we are moving with God, not against him. I remember the very first car that I bought. It was in 1964. It goes back a few years. Rambler American. What a gem. <laughs> but you know, the car was pretty well stripped down. It didn't have power steering. So... In a parking spot, for example, before you move, you know, you're, you've probably been there. You try to re wrestle with the steering wheel, right? It's hard to move. But what happened as soon as you started moving? Hey, this becomes a lot easier. You see, when we're moving with God, it's, it, it's so much easier to hear his voice, isn't it? 
It's very difficult to be led by God's Holy Spirit if we're being disobedient or indifferent to his voice or in sin. When you think about the life of Jesus, he was always about his father's business, wasn't he? And he was always led by God's Holy Spirit. We need to be about our father's business too. So we would be absolutely sensitive to God's voice and to be led by his Holy Spirit. The second thing that I'd like to identify in this passage that should help us, these men, this church, they knew the word of God and were centered on the word of God. They were well taught. It's the word of God that provides us with the most sure and clearest revelation of the will of God. Why? Because it's pure, isn't it? Even though the enemy tries to rip us off by changing it. The word of God is pure, it is true, it's without fault. And it gives us what we need in any and every area of our life. Every area of our life, you can look back to the word of God for direction. You can look back to the word of God for wisdom. You can look to the word of God for his will. And let me say this, that the decisions that we make ought to be based on what the Bible says. Now, don't misunderstand. The the Bible is not going to tell you what to put on your shopping list to go to the grocery store. But it does tell us, it gives us a principle to be wise stewards of what God has given us. You see, the Bible gives us the principles we need to make biblically-based decisions. So we need the Word of God, and our decisions must be based on biblical principles. The third thing I think would help us is that they believe, the early church believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, revelation of the mind of God by God's Spirit. And you know what? The gifts of the Holy Spirit are important to us. We believe in the gifts of God's Holy Spirit. And the church of Antioch was moving forward and bringing the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world in these missionary journeys through the use of these spiritual gifts. These gifts that God gives by his Holy Spirit give us what we need in order to accomplish God's will and the things he asks us to do. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts or give gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need all of these things in the, as the Christians in the world always have and always will need. The Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, he's the one that gives the gifts. We can pray for them, right? But I certainly am not going to demand God give me something he doesn't want to give me. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, 
to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as who wills? As he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will. You know he had a will in creation? Genesis 1-2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit of God determined that was his will. He has a will. The fourth thing I believe will help us is they ministered to the Lord. They worshiped and obeyed. The direction of worship, once again, lesser to greater. They submitted to his lordship. Whatever God's will would be, they wanted that. And that, of course, is a challenge to us. Do we want what God wants for us? What good would it be for the Holy Spirit to direct someone that doesn't have this settled in their heart, that, that Jesus is Lord of my life? It would fall on deaf ears. But you know, he's not only my Savior, he's also my Lord. Lord, I belong to you. And I desire whatever you desire. And sometimes... That's not an easy prayer, is it? Do whatever you desire in my life. Think about it. If we were totally submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ and we wanted only what he wanted, I think he probably would start paring some things away from us, wouldn't he? More than likely. But he only has what's best in his heart for us, doesn't he? His will for us is absolutely perfect. His will for you, his will for me is absolutely without flaw. But the problem is we don't always want to believe that and therefore we resist the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen delivered the strong message to the Jews and he said this in verse 51. He said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. He saw something, didn't he? And the Spirit of God moved him to speak. He said, you're resisting against the Holy Spirit of God. You're fighting against God's Spirit. Are we capable of being stiff-necked and resist the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Sure, we're capable but the question is this, is there an area or areas in your life where God would say you're being stiff-necked and resistant to my Holy Spirit? Well, and what would we do with it? The church at Antioch, they wanted to hear, and they obeyed. They were sold out for God, and we as a church should be sold out for God too. They fasted, they prayed for God's direction and God's will. And you know what, family? That was part of normal Christian life for them. And I think it's been lost for much of the church. Have you taken time to fast and pray? 
And there's evidence right here in the scriptures that this is important to God. And I know in my life, whenever I've taken time to fast and pray, you know, family, God always does something. And it's not that he makes me hungry. It makes me hungry for him. And he begins to work things in my life and in, in the lives of those around me that if I had not fasted and prayed, I may not have found it. But through fasting and praying, he, he opens up my eyes, but he also opens up my heart that I can hear him, that I can hear his voice. He, family, without fail, God has always done something. And I just want to be open to whatever it is that he has for me. Do I fast and pray enough? No. Am I being boastful? Absolutely not. I just want to share with you that it's important. They fasted and prayed. The fifth thing we find that can be a help to us. The church in Antioch, they had peace, the peace of God as they listened to God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 Paul said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What a wonderful thing that is. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. How can we have that peace? Well, the greatest peace is found as we're centered on God's will. And at a decision point in life, the first thing we ought to do, as I mentioned, we, we ought to examine the word of God. What does the Bible say? What biblical principles would come into play here? So we need to examine the word of God. And secondly, as I consider what to do, do I have the peace of God in doing whatever it is that I'm even considering? John 14, verse 7. says, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth in you, or with you, and shall be in you. You see, if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, if you're born again, you can be certain he will be grieved if you go against his will. Your heart will be stirred. There will be a tug of war inside of you. That is if we're disobedient to his will. But if you're in his will, you will have peace because you are in one accord with him. I want that peace. I don't ever want to forfeit that peace. But I have to say this personally, every time I've gone against the Holy Spirit by closing my ears to him, I learn later I've made a mistake. I realize I've messed up. But the question is, will I learn from that? Or will I continue to stumble over the same things because I'm not listening for his voice? Or not heeding his voice? So it's so important for us to be led by the peace of God, the word of God, and not ourselves. And what may seem a no-brainer to us, right, or an obvious direction or decision may not at all be God's will. Because his wisdom is infinite, isn't it? His knowledge is infinite. His love is infinite. And his vision for our lives is so far superior, he absolutely knows what's best for us. Oh, we think we do, don't we? 
But God knows with absolute certainty what's best. You know, in, in, in our own lives, in, in my own life, I've started and stopped too many times because I didn't hear from the Lord or I didn't want to hear from the Lord. Have you ever deliberately said no to God's Holy Spirit? You don't have to answer that. That's between you and God. But have you ever done that? And then the next question, how'd it work out? How'd that work out for you? It's never a success story. Never. Well, the sixth thing we can learn from this passage that will help us, they obeyed the Lord upon hearing from God's Holy Spirit. They were confident in the direction of the Holy Spirit, so confident that it led to three missionary journeys. Was it easy for them? Were these missionary journeys easy? Well, I would say no. A one-word answer, no. In the course of these three missionary journeys, what do we find as we read through the book of Acts? What we'll find is there's shipwrecks, right? Shipwrecks are never easy. Stoning. Hmm. Can't imagine that being an easy thing. Perils of the deep, perils of waters, perils of nakedness. Paul would go on and on and on. Rejection. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Is that ever easy? I don't think so. And all those things that we could look at and say, oh my gosh, look at the trouble they went through. Without that confidence in the Holy Spirit of God, Paul could come face to face with the, Holy, with the extreme difficulties even when thought this, Paul, just, just hang it up. This is too hard. But the confidence that he had in hearing God's voice and obeying God's voice kept him going. He knew that if God called him, he had no other choice than to leave it all in God's hands and to walk with him because God would walk him right through it. Well, think about this. Paul wrote four epistles from prison. Four epistles he wrote from prison. The book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And I challenge you, go through those epistles I challenge you to find one single complaint from the Apostle Paul in any of them. He knew he was centered on God's will. No matter what happens to me, I'm in God's will. He's going to take care of me one way or another. Robert, I'm going to mention something about you, my brother. Robert just went through a second surgery for cancer in his lung. And I don't know how many times that man told me. He said, it's all in God's hands. If he takes me home, I'm good. If he leaves me here, I'm good. And those aren't easy words to say, are they? But he's trusting in the Lord. Trusting that God has a perfect plan, a perfect will for his life. The Apostle Paul knew God had a perfect plan and a perfect will for his life. In one of the, those prison epistles, the book of Philippians, you know what it's, it's called? The epistle of joy. How do you stop a guy like the apostle Paul? You don't. He's being led, motivated, empowered by God's Holy Spirit. The circumstances that he faced rose up against human wisdom, didn't they? The circumstances that he faced 
They, they stood against human comfort. A cold prison cell. Dark. Chained. Chained to, to guards. Shipwrecked. Beaten. Left for dead. But Paul knew it was the right decision. How else could he go on? other than to have the confidence in God's Holy Spirit. And you know, he believed the words of Jesus when Jesus said in, in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In me, you'll have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. I'm glad he didn't end it there, aren't you? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we can have that same confidence no matter what. And you know what? Human encouragement or discouragement should not lead you. It must be. You and I must be led by God's Holy Spirit. And yet we do need those people to encourage us. But encourage us in God's will, not in our will. And if you're relying on another human being as a substitute for the Holy Spirit, then you're missing out. You're selling yourself short. So, you know, going through this and, and looking at it, it, it brings up some challenging questions. Challenging questions that, that I need to answer, perhaps every one of us needs to answer. And the first one is this, is my life directed by the Holy Spirit of God? How much, how much of my life resides in that category of being led by God's Holy Spirit. How much of my life? Things like where I live, where I work, where I'm thinking about going, where I'm thinking about working. Am I led by God's Holy Spirit in my service to the Lord? Am I being directed by God's Holy Spirit in how I spend my time or, or spend the money that God has given me? Or those people that I hang out with, those associates, those people that, that are in my life right now. Has, has God's Spirit led me to associate? Has God been directing who I allow to influence my life? Are we confident that what we do is under the direction of the Spirit of God? Is it born out of prayer? Is it born out of fasting? Is it born out of reading the word of God and saying, God, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Strip me of myself. Strip me of the stuff that's in here that doesn't belong so I can hear you clearly. Would you be willing to take the time and sit before God and ask him, there's another big gulp. How am I doing with respect to following the direction of your spirit? God, how am I doing? God, what areas in my life am I in your will? Then again, what areas in my life am I out of your will? These are important questions, challenging questions, aren't they? 
But, you know, they're very, very important questions to ask because I believe that each of us wants to be centered on God's will. And if we ask God questions like that, he's going to answer. How do I know? Because he wants us to be centered on his will. And this is really important because all that happens in the remaining chapters of the book of Acts is based on what took place in the hearts of those that sought the direction of God's Holy Spirit. That's where it started, these missionary journeys. God, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from heaven. We want to know your will. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Pray and fast and I'll speak to you. Get in the word of God and I'll speak to you. Surrender your heart to mine and I will speak to you. That's what they did. With that said, what takes place in your life from here on really needs, in my life, needs to be led by God's Holy Spirit. Are you willing to go before God and maybe hear some tough answers to your questions? But you know what? The answers may seem tough only as we resist. And when you and I respond to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us, what's going to happen? You're going to have a richer life a more satisfied life, a more peace-filled life, a contented life because godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, as I consider the the direction of the the church here in Acts chapter 13, they, they wanted only to hear God's voice. That's all they wanted. And as I consider the church in the United States of America, I'm not convinced that we want to hear God's voice in a great and large picture of the, the church in general. I, family, I know, and I have to tell you this, I know there's been times in this ministry where we thought we heard God's voice but didn't. And things went bad. But God's grace picked us up. His grace is greater than our resistance to him. Yes, we made mistakes, but do we learn from them? That's so important that we learn from them. But as I consider the, the church at large in, in America, I, I'm wondering, I, you know, are, are, we, are we fasting and praying and seeking God's will? Are we dependent on God and his spirit? Or are we more dependent on programs or media presentations or sensationalism in worship, or sensationalism behind the pulpit. That's not what we need. We need to be led by God's Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle asked in Acts chapter 19, he was in Ephesus, and he saw a great lack there. The city of Ephesus and here's what he said in, in verse 2. He said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. I know we've heard of the Holy Spirit. I know we've heard of the Holy Ghost. 
I know many of us here have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Using gifts of the Holy Spirit of God. But the question is, are we, is the, is the church in America, and, and we as individuals, are we, we pretending like we don't know the Holy Ghost or because we're not seeking Him and just doing things our own way? And I'm not, listen, family, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm not pointing fingers at any church. I'm talking about it in very general terms, but I see it. I see it because the church in general lacks power today. When God has all the power from heaven he wants to give to us, they just follow my will. Don't do it on your own. Depend upon me because without you, as we talked about, he said, you can do nothing. Are we ready to step up and say, God, I, I want to do it your way and not mine. I don't want it to be mine. I want it to be God's will. And let me tell you something. I've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. So I, I guess in, in summary, I've been challenged by this here. I've been really challenged by this. And I have to partake this before I can even share it. But I'm thankful that God speaks to us. And, and, and perhaps he's spoken to you today by his Holy Spirit. He certainly has spoken to me. Am I willing to say, God, show me what you see and give me a heart to obey you? You know, one of the other, we'll wrap up here, one of the other aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is to point people to Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's heart is that none perish and all come to repentance. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the great truth that God desires that people would embrace is that there's a God in heaven that, that loves you. There's a God in heaven that loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son into this world that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That, you see, it, it has to begin at salvation. It must begin at salvation because if there's no salvation, there's no future. Well, there's a future, but not a very good one. In fact, a horrible one. And I'm so thankful that, that God, through his word, has, has made the message of salvation so simple. What do I have to do in order to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. The Philippian jailer asked Paul that question when God opened up the prisoner doors, prison doors and the prisoners just sat there. Paul and Barnabas, or yeah, was it Barnabas? They were imprisoned anyhow. Paul was in prison. And they sat there with the gates wide open. Guards came by and said, what? You guys are crazy. <laughs> something's, something's going on here that I don't understand. What shall I do to be saved? He heard, he heard the apostle Paul praising God at midnight from his prison cell. What must I do to be saved? 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's all? Yeah. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to just believe him in your head. Believe on has something to do with the heart. There's something taking place in my heart that says I need, I need a savior. I need forgiveness. And I'm trusting God with my salvation. That's what that means. Not trusting in myself. Have you come to Christ? Have you received him as Savior and Lord? And he's got a great plan. He's got a plan for those of us that know him, and he has a plan for those that don't. And if you don't yet belong to Jesus, you know, his invitation goes out continually. Come to me, come to me, come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, real rest can only come from Jesus Christ. Knowing that I am right with him. Knowing that all is well with my soul because I belong to him. And I don't have to worry about hell anymore. My concern is heaven. So if you'd like to come to Jesus today, it's, it's, it's a simple matter. Just number one, surrendering your heart to him and then asking him. Would you, would you ask him? Pray with me, please. And Lord, I come to you this morning and I realize that I'm in great need. I'm in need of you. I've struggled with sin. I continue to struggle with sin. And I realize that your plan for me is greater than me. And I need you. I come to you now and I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sin. I realize and and acknowledge that when you went to the cross, you went for me. You did it for me. You laid down your life. You poured out your blood that I could be forgiven and set free. Please set me free now. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life to be Lord of my life and my Savior. And I thank you, Lord, for loving me so deeply and wonderfully that as I come to you now, I can know that I belong to you. And I praise you, God, for loving me and for saving me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. By the way, it was Silas.